And I think the players are going to be called off the field. There was apparently within the radius of where we sit, even though it looks like a nice, pleasant day for baseball where we are, we will have a delay, a weather delay in what appears to be. And even as I look at the monitor, one part of the sky is bright and blue, another a little ominous. With Oregon State trailing by a run in the top of the sixth inning, needing to beat Washington just to have a chance at winning three more games in a row to keep the season alive, Jack Anderson had walked to load the bases, Tyler Malone stepped to the plate, and everything came to a screeching halt due to lightning. Perfect timing, right? Bases loaded two down for Tyler Malone. But as we go to a weather delay break in Omaha, and then we'll come back in at least 45, maybe longer, this is Dynasty in the Woods. I'm your host, Josh Warden. At this point, Oregon State was 0-1 in the College World Series, facing elimination with a 5-4 deficit against Pac-12 foe Washington. In the top of the sixth inning, broadcaster Mike Parker somewhat prophetically surmised if the delay would last more than 45 minutes, and it indeed did last longer. An hour went by, then two, and things only seemed to be getting worse. Well, hi again, everybody, back at TD Ameritrade Park, where it is absolutely pouring now. We are, I'm told, at least one hour away. The sky was dark. It was foreboding. And it got dark enough that some of the streetlights in the stadium's neighborhood came on. And, of course, this just delays the elimination for somebody even longer as we wait at least another hour when we return to action. The Beavers will have the bases loaded, two down, trailing five to four in the top of the sixth inning. One more hour later, and it still was not looking much better. There have been at least 100 lightning strikes within an eight-mile radius in the last 45 minutes or so. The players could only wait. Right when they should have been battling to extend their season another day, Oregon State had to mull everything over in the locker room. But it seems that in most situations like this, Oregon State head coach Pat Casey had planned for this. Baseball is not just you show up, stretch, you take your ground balls, and you do it. It's a game of chaos, right? It's a game of momentum. There's a lot of things that happen. So how do you respond to that? Assistant coach Andy Jenkins joined Pat Casey in applying chaos to practice sessions for the purpose of getting the players to feel used to chaos. You know, I remember what was Marty Lee's back when I was playing would, would come up with a really nice spreadsheet of what we were going to do in practice and, and Case would, would roll out and just be like, nope, let's do this. Get these guys over here. We're going to bang that session. And everybody's just like, okay, when we saw the, the practice play, what are we going to do here? It's, it's keeping you on your toes. And, uh, you know, he, there was a method to that. Andy Jenkins played for Pat Casey in 04 and 05. 13 years later, when Jenkins was on the staff at OSU, he saw Pat Casey still doing the same old thing. Coach Bailey was our practice organizer, and I think there was a frustration sometimes. Us as coaches, it's like, I thought we were going to be doing this, but he just had a way and, and something that we, in his mind, that we weren't doing well, and he would shift that. And, and if you think about that, that's the game of baseball. It, you know, you're going to get screwed on a call. You're going to make errors. You're going to walk the house. And, and how do you respond to that? Or another example of chaos, weather delays. And even this, Pat Casey had prepared for in particular, as Kyle Novak recalls. And he'd pull everybody off the field for 20 minutes and make us sit in the dugout. And then he'd put us back on the field. And basically what he was practicing was adversity's coming. We have no idea when it's coming. And this is something Pat would always talk about. We don't know when it's coming, but what matters is when it comes, what we do. Novak even said we would practice rain delays, maybe fall ball, and 
go into the dugout for 20 minutes, come back out. He was referring to the, to the Washington game and said, we had practiced this. Do you remember practicing rain delays? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you simulate what you think's gonna happen. A lightning delay may seem like a problematic interruption, but for Pat Casey, it was almost expected. You create as many chaotic scenarios that you think would arise. And, and you know, we, I got better at that too. We as a, as a program got better at that. You know, let, let's say we're running a bunt drill and somebody would throw the ball away at first and then we go back to the, to the same play. Well, that doesn't happen in a game. So now what we do is we say, that doesn't happen in a game, let's do it as a game. You throw the ball away at first, now we're first and third. Now we're out of the bunt situation, we're in a first and third situation. Pat Casey wanted his players prepared for the wild ups and downs of baseball, from bunt drills to rain delay preparation. The belief is simple, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your training. And Pat Casey had trained them well. So when the Beavers went back to the locker room during the Washington game, they didn't need much more than a quick talk to acknowledge the situation, and then the players loosened up. We did have a talk as we were down. You know, we just all kind of came together and we're talking about, hey, when we come out for the second half, the beeves are showing up. Stay focused, but remember, have fun. This is why we're here. You know, after that, the mood lightened up. We were laughing and having fun. We were playing Mafia for hours. The mood was pretty light, and if you don't know what the game Mafia is, allow Kyle Novak and Tyler Malone to explain it. You got a mafia, you got uh, a sheriff, and then you have a doctor. So the mafia chooses townspeople. There's townspeople, There's townspeople too. So then the mafia chooses who they want to kill or take out of the town. And the sheriffs try to determine who is in the mafia, and then the doctor tries to save. And then there's an open discussion. So it gets pretty oh, heated. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Kyle did a good job explaining, but if you still don't get it, don't worry. Neither does assistant coach Pat Bailey. I still don't understand the game, but they have a lot of fun playing it. And we had guys playing hangman and just how loose the locker room was. And you could just tell there was an air of confidence. Did you play any and were you victorious? Absolutely. I think I won, I won a couple games. Definitely not all of them, but oh yeah, I was playing. Of course I was. That's our thing for bus rides or killing time, whatever. This is Kevin Abel, who came in to pitch for OSU not long before the delay. Gets people off their phones. It's fun to see people argue and yell at each other and things like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. What's your mafia strategy? Stay quiet in the background, be aggressive and accuse people? You got to mix it up. Otherwise, people will realize, like, oh, he's quiet when he's in the mafia. He's loud when he's a townsperson. So you got to mix it up. got to be willing to risk killing off some townspeople when you're wrong. It's all about reading body language, picking up on those, those nervous ticks. As it turns out, you learn a lot about teammates by how they play the game of Mafia. Nathan Burns, honestly one of the best liars I've ever seen. That guy will look you straight in the eye, tell you he's not in Mafia, and will kill you next round. <laughs> Are you sure you should be friends with him? Because it seems like he might stab you in the back in real life, too. <laughs> it's the only thing he can lie about. I've seen him try to lie to his girlfriend, and it uh, didn't work out. <laughs> a little white lie. Better tell her that he wasn't doing anything for her, and... He couldn't hold a straight face, so it's only it's only in the game of mafia that he can do it. It all just comes back to how close we were and how we were always doing stuff together. Jake Mulholland recalls this is a usual thing for Oregon State. This isn't the first mafia session this team had played together, not even the first mafia game after playing Washington. Busing back from UW on a five-hour trip at 10 o'clock at night, and instead of everyone just sleeping, we're screaming our heads off playing mafia until two in the morning. So when the delay happened, the players were still in their comfort zone. 
we were so close together. We were hanging out after practice. People wouldn't leave until an hour after games ended. We were where we wanted to be when we were at the field with each other. It didn't seem to matter to the Beavers that they were trailing by a run in a game that could end their season. The players were just focused on killing each other, metaphorically, in the game of Mafia. There's just a lot of yelling and hooting and hollering and stuff like that. Guys going back and forth, so yeah, it can get pretty fun. <laughs> it gets pretty heated, you know, all the guys, they take it seriously and it's so funny. It's funny to kind of watch the guys and how serious they take it. It was fun that that got written about because that's just like another day in the life of, of the Beavs. I might have asked coach, I'm like, when are we going out there? And they're just like, not anytime soon. So I was like, all right, might as well loosen up a little bit, play a little mafia. And at that point we were losing. So it was like, hey, make the most of each moment we got with each other kind of thing. Also, Joe Casey did a 30 bubblegum piece challenge and stuffed 30 pieces of gum in his mouth. So his cheeks were like out to here, he looked like a chipmunk. Oh, that kept it pretty loose, but that was fun to see. <laughs> More evidence the locker room was pretty light. Outfielder Joe Casey, the son of Pat Casey, answering the question we all wanted to know, could he really stick 30 pieces of gum in his mouth? No, he loves his candy, he loves his sugar. So I think someone like barely bet him on that. He's like, I'll do it. And everybody's like, all right, then do it. And then he just did it. He just kept going. That's just kind of how Joe is. But he just like kept putting him in there. He's like, I can do another one. I can do another one. So he just kept doing it. This is Tyler Malone, who spent the entire delay knowing he'd be up to bat when the game resumed with the bases loaded, Oregon State trailing by a run. If there was any temptation to get in his head or feel anxious, some good old-fashioned bubblegum hijinks from Joe Casey were perhaps a good distraction for Tyler. One of the things, like when you really get to know Joe, you really begin to understand how much he loves candy and sweets. Tyler Malone also happened to be roommates with Joe Casey, so Tyler got to see this was nothing new for Joe. This guy, like, will just go to the store and just get tons of candy and soda, and, like, Joe was half his diet had to have been candy up at school. He knew all the candy shops because he'd been there when he was a little kid, so he just loves candy, and he was always excited to go to this Omaha candy store. I'm sure he got it from that candy shop and would probably spend most of his per diem on gosh knows what sugar intake that kid had in a week. He was always a bubblegum guy. He was always blowing bubbles. He goes to the candy shop, you know, that's his thing down there. Then he just loves going to that, can he's a candy savant, I guess. It's just one of those things that little leaguers do. And even in the College World Series, guys are doing the same thing, just seeing how much bubblegum they can fit in their mouth. Whether you're like nine years old or 21, it's just as fun. Joe, your son, tried a quote-unquote 30-piece bubblegum challenge. Did, did you see your son stuff his mouth? Well, no, no, I'll tell you. I've heard that and I believe that. The great thing about being in a facility like we had at Omaha and also here is the coaches have an office and the players have a locker room. And so, you know, and that's the way it should be. Four-hour rain, rain delay, you know, you're just kind of waiting for the car to pull up and the clowns to get out. You know, you don't know what to do. So whatever they were doing, I'm sure they're having a good time. The players were having fun and goofing off, and Pat Casey trusted them to do so responsibly. But it was partway through this delay when a sudden reality dawned on some of the players. A sad realization when that happened. Kevin Abel had this sad realization about halfway through the delay. Remember, it was not a rain delay, it was a lightning delay. The field was totally dry when the players left, but a while later, it started pouring. Someone finally thought of our stuff being out there and was like, hey, our stuff's getting rained on. Possibly distracted by games of Mafia and Joe Casey's bubblegum histrionics, it did not occur to the players that some of their equipment was still outside with no cover. Hey, can someone go grab my stuff, please? <laughs> 
we weren't allowed to go out onto the field at all because there was lightning and stuff. They wouldn't let us onto the actual field during that time. Jake Mulholland, Kevin Abel, and any other pitchers who had left equipment in the bullpen were helpless. I had my glove with me, but my bag was out there. My bag got soaked. That was tough. I had a baseball that I, I keep in there. I got like a shirt or something that got absolutely drenched. My shoes, my turfs got drenched. Fortunately, all the things Kevin just mentioned were not items he would use in a game, but Jake Mulholland did not get so lucky. I had left my glove in the bullpen and I knew it was just getting destroyed by rain. I was like, hey, I need to grab my glove. Like I knew that I had left it and I was like, I gotta get my glove, it's getting rained on. And they were just kind of like, sorry, nothing we can do. The facility staff wouldn't budge and Jake Mulholland had to wait until the lightning threat cleared. And once he could finally retrieve his mitt, the results were not good. I got my glove back and it weighed 10 pounds. It was soaking wet, like it was really bad. Jake had a pretty good chance of pitching in this game since he's the closer, so he scrambled to find a solution as the game was about to restart. As for the team, having spent over four hours in the locker room, now they were raring to go. When we came out of that rain delay against Washington, it was going to happen. 35 guys sat in that locker room playing games of mafia, listening to music, sitting next to Drew Bodenheimer, who was a kid in a wheelchair who was hanging out with us. We knew this was the best time of our life. And when we rolled out, we walked down that tunnel. I'll never forget it. I could see the field. I could see us running down the tunnel. I could just feel the energy just walking down, coming out of that rain delay. Absolutely no doubt. In my mind, and I could feel it in everybody else's mind about what we were about to do. Welcome back, everybody, to TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha. The College World Series, in theory, will resume in five minutes. The delay had lasted four hours and 31 minutes. Coming back to action, Washington led five to four, top of the sixth. Maybe the players most affected by the delay were the pitchers since they lost any sort of rhythm from before the delay. Washington skipper Lindsey Meggs decided to just swap pitchers now and start fresh. We're also now a pitcher short because we're not gonna, you know, I wasn't gonna roll our guy back out there. I didn't feel good about that. At the time, the pitcher for Washington was a right-hander named Stevie Emanuels, but Alex Hardy, the closer for Washington, has been loosening up in the last few minutes in the bullpen. All Pac-12 first-teamer Alex Hardy entered not to close the game, but to close the ultra-important sixth inning. Tyler Malone could tie the game, or Washington could begin Act 2 of this contest with all the momentum. Tyler Malone knew the entire four and a half hours that he would be in this high-stakes position, but he felt very little pressure. In Tyler's opinion, the pitcher should be worried about him, not the other way around. I had the upper hand, you know, between the, I mean, the pitcher, and the hitter kind of duel there, you know, waiting four and a half hours and coming into a situation with the bases loaded. As a pitcher, I feel like it's a lot more stressful than as a hitter. Tyler Malone felt confident, but that did not mean necessarily he had his sights set only on crushing a ball deep to the outfield. So usually when things are going well for my, my side of it, I'm walking a lot more. So usually when I'm walking a lot more, that's when I'm feeling pretty good at the plate. Nonetheless, on the first pitch Tyler saw, he took a pretty big cut. Tyler Malone, who singled to center on the first pitch that he saw last inning, steps in now. And after the long delay, here we go. Hardy out of the stretch. Malone jumps on the first pitch. He's had four and a half hours to think about it, and he pulls it foul. 
you know, looking back, I kind of thought it was a changeup because I got a slider later in the bat that looked totally different. But I think it was a slider, but I attacked it. You know, I was ready, ready to do some damage. After swinging at the first pitch he had seen in over four hours, Malone then settled down and took the next couple pitches for balls. You wonder what's gone through Tyler's mind this whole time, knowing that he'd be stepping into this situation. The 2-1 pitch to Malone. Fastball low, ball three, three and one. The 3-1 pitch to Malone. Outside, ball four, and the game is tied. Michael Gretler comes down the line to score. Tyler Malone, two plate appearances, two runs batted in. Stephen Kwan leading the cheers. He's out of the game with a sore left hamstring, but he's cheering the walk induced by Malone. Tyler, you had a long time to think about that plate appearance when you guys are down a run. What kind of went through your mind during the rain delay and how did you approach that trip to the plate? Yeah, I mean, I've really, especially over the past two years, I've just really kind of engulfed the, the role that I'm in and really truly understanding, you know, what I could do to help my team. And, you know, even though I haven't been playing that much recently, I have to understand that, you know, my name could get called upon whenever. But, uh, you know, I've really, over the past couple of months, I've really brought God into my life and, you know, he's, he's given me that strength. So when I was going up to that plate, I just kept running through my head. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, he was there and carried me through. The Beavers left something on the board after Malone's walk, leaving three runners on base, but at least the game was tied. The job wasn't done, but the pressure was relaxed. The focus switched to pitching, and the question was if Kevin Abel would keep going. After the game, Kevin was asked if he spent the delay trying to convince Pat Casey to let him stay in. Uh, well, I was playing Mafia with him, too. But, uh... <laughs> Luckily, Pat Casey didn't need to be convinced. After all, he grew up in an era of baseball when pitching rotations looked pretty different. Go back in, in the game a few years back, guys pitched a lot. Some guys pitched doubleheaders. And then, you know, we came up with this thing about if we have a middle guy and a setup guy and a closer, you know, we can really confuse everybody and drag this game on for three hours and 54 minutes, you know? <laughs> when you first heard hey, there's a weather delay. What was your immediate thought when hearing weather delay? Didn't really think much. The nice part was I didn't really throw much before the weather delay, so really I just kind of got somewhat loose. It really wasn't that big of a deal. It was kind of like how it is when you warm up before a game and then you don't go in until the seventh anyway. You're sitting there for two and a half hours, and then you go down to the bullpen and have to get going. So really it was just like coming out of the bullpen. Almost five hours elapsed between Kevin Abel's 17th pitch of the day and his 18th. Kevin basically came out of the bullpen twice in one game, and the second time he came out, it was like a blur. A first pitch flyout, then a three pitch strikeout, then a pop up to put the Huskies down in order in the sixth. Whatever he had done during the weather delay had clearly worked. During that four and a half hours, I got to sit there and prepare myself mentally. You know, I had been I had been out there already. I had felt the crowd and gotten those initial nerves out of the way. And so then it was like, all right, now I can go play baseball. Two relievers started warming up in the seventh inning after Abel gave up a leadoff walk, but he got the next two guys out and then came Joe Wainhouse, the guy who several hours earlier had hit the soft ground ball when Kevin Abel tried to throw home, but everyone ended up safe. Washington had taken the lead that inning, and now Abel got another shot at Wainhouse with the game tied. Joe swings at the change, a big swing, doesn't get it, 0-1 the count. We knew he was a fastball hitter, and he was always looking on the inner half. And he also has that big leg kick, so when you have that big leg kick and you have to gear up for 90-plus and you're looking for 90-plus, it makes it a lot easier to throw a changeup in there with a lot of confidence. 
By using the changeup, Kevin could keep Joe Wainhouse unprepared for when he actually would throw that fastball. Abel's 2-2 pitch, fastball taken, strike three called. The inning is over. Beautiful job of changing speeds by Kevin Abel. Having pitched against them earlier, I knew how my stuff played when I executed, and so my only thought was just all you got to do is make the pitch. Things are going to go well. Good breaking ball from Kevin Abel. He strikes out the side. He's fanned four straight. Kevin Abel went three strong innings after the delay, holding the Huskies hitless in the 6th, 7th, and 8th innings. So Washington, including that delay, went over six hours without a base hit. Pat Casey and Nate Yeski had made the right decision to keep Kevin Abel in after the delay. Now the main thing was if the Beaver hitters could give him some run support. And for that, we go back to the 7th inning. Rutschman stops at third. It's a double for Michael Gretler. The Beavers regain the lead at 6-5. to five. Lindsey Meggs had chosen to intentionally walk Adley Rutschman to get to Gretler, which backfired spectacularly. We intentionally walk uh, the catcher to get to Gretler, and it was a percentage move, and it's the right move, and, and he just puts a great swing on a pretty good pitch. Michael Gretler's double gave OSU the one-run lead, and coming up right after the Bonnie Lake native is another guy from the suburbs of Seattle, Marysville product Kyle Novak. The walk-on outfielder relished the opportunity to face his hometown program. My attitude or mindset playing anybody was, you didn't recruit me, you don't think I'm good enough. That almost fueled me, right? And then playing Washington was even more so that way. You know, I grew up here. So whenever we played the Huskies, it fired me up a little bit. Kyle Novak worked a 2-1 count before taking his first swing of the at-bat. I remember I swung at a pitch. I swung through it. It was the same pitch. It was up and out. The pitch on the way. Swung on and missed. And the count 2-2 two and two to Novi. And I, I got two strikes on me. I'm nervous. I'm looking at Coach Jenkins. I, I catch a glimpse at Coach Casey in a dugout. He's screaming at me. He's telling me to stay through the baseball, stay through the baseball. And I'm like, he's right. I pulled off it. I took a really, really deep breath. And I was able to get it down to one thought. And it was always, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. I would connect to my breath. I would find my focal point, And I'd said, I'm a beast. Stay through this pitch. And he threw the same exact pitch, and I caught full barrel on it. Kyle Novak looking for another clutch two-out hit. The 2-2 pitch, a fly ball to right center field. Kaiser Weiss going back to the track, to the fence, leaps up. A three-run homer for Kyle Novak. The Beavers lead it 9-5. to And now trying to add to the lead in the eighth. Malone, first ball swinging, a drive to right. Back goes Weiss to the track, to the fence. Salah! Tyler Malone hits it out. What a ball game he's had emerging in the middle of the game. Three at-bats, three RBIs. He goes yard, and the Beavers lead it 10-5. to Tyler Malone had not hit a home run in 18 games and now launched one in the College World Series. That was really special for sure, especially at this stage. You know, seeing Beaver Nation out, out in the stands and coming into my team, you know, that, that's something I'll never forget. I mean, it, most people saw on TV, I was shocked myself. You know, I was running my hands in my hair. After scoring four runs in the seventh inning, Malone added a run here in the eighth to make it 10-5 to five Beavers. The next two batters struck out, and it seemed like the Beavers would be finished here in the eighth, but with the bases empty, two outs, Nick Madrigal kept the inning alive. Madrigal swings and dunks one to shallow center. Madrigal started with a single, then Trevor Larnick. The throw to first is not in time. Larnick beats it out. Larnick singled, then Adley Rutschman. 
The 1-2 pitch to Adley, swung on and dunked down the right field line, a fair ball for a base hit. Rutschman singled to score Madrigal, then Gretler joined the party. Gretler swings a line drive, base hit to right center field. Gretler singled, Washington switched pitchers, the new reliever hit Kyle Novak on his second pitch, and then he was pulled from the game. And still, the Beavers were not done. Jack Anderson swings, a line drive, base hit to left field. Coming in to score, Adley Rutschman, Michael Gretler, a double for Jack Anderson. And the Beavers break it even further open. The Beavers lead it 14-5. 13 of the 14 runs OSU scored in the game came with two outs. All Oregon State had to do to eliminate Washington was to close out the ninth inning. And the Beavers called upon their closer, Jake Mulholland. But remember that Jake had left his glove in the bullpen and it got soaked during the delay. So Jake had to look for a different option. I think I used one of my buddy's gloves to close that UW game. Even without his own glove, still no problem for Mulholland. Fly ball to left center, playable for Preston Jones. Preston calls, makes the catch, and the Beavers officially move on. Oregon State collected its first victory of the 2018 College World Series, and to make it a little extra special, it was against the same team from all that drama two years prior. The fact that Oregon State sent the University of Washington packing was a very sweet moment. Pat Casey had to have been one of the more satisfied people in the Oregon State community that day. I mean, every instinct I have as a human being tells me Pat really relished that moment. I tell you, that would have been fascinating if Washington would have knocked Oregon State out of the College World Series. This is OSU baseball reporter and author Bob Lundeberg. That would have been an interesting trip home for the Beavers, knowing that that was the team that did it. And I I don't think a lot of the leaders on Oregon State were going to allow Washington to be the team to end their dream season. Washington had a great season, making the program's first ever College World Series, but the end for Lindsey Meggs and the Huskies came at the hand of the Beavers. Congratulations, obviously, to Oregon State. Uh, They played a great game. That's a great program. They're going to represent the Pac-12 and be here for a few more days, if not the duration. Just two days after the North Carolina game that set a record for lasting four and a half hours, the Beavers beat Washington in a game that, including the delay, lasted eight and a half hours. And the turning point in this one apparently was that delay when Oregon State trailed five to four and then outscored Washington nine to zero afterwards. So what did Nick Madrigal say in that pep talk before they retook the field? You know, I've got that question a lot of people have asked me, well, what did I say to the Ranger? Like, I really didn't say a whole lot. We, you know, we played games, we joked around during that time. You know, I said a couple words, but I didn't say anything that changed our team in any way. I think everyone's mind was made up that we're going to do this. We felt like the pressure was never on us, and it was always on them. Even if we were down by one run, you know, we just made a decision where we're going to win this game. And until that final out happens, we feel like we're never out of the game, and that's the way Oregon State baseball is. I mean, you got to make the last out against us because we're going to fight till the end. This podcast series supports local and international charities, including Children's Garden, which is located in the Philippines. Children's Garden is a small operation, just a single home that provides housing for about a dozen teenagers who are living on the street. By providing a home, education, tutoring, and other resources, Children's Garden is changing lives. Please learn more at childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. 
It's winter go home at this point, and there's a lot of guys that would never put this uniform on again. And it means a lot to us, and a lot of people don't really understand it until you play here and you're around Case and you're around this program. You know, there's some guys in that locker room that are never going to play a baseball game again, and that's including myself and Jack. So that's what motivates us, and that's kind of what his message was, is just strictly compete. For guys like Kyle Novak or Jack Anderson, this College World Series would be the end of their competitive baseball career. And more particularly, the Washington game was the first game of their careers where it might have been the last game they played at OSU. After all, this was the first elimination game Oregon State had played in the postseason. Kyle and Jack are seniors, and they knew they weren't going to play pro baseball, so the end was closer than ever for them. But in another sense, this was not at all the first time in their careers it nearly came to a close. In fact, there are three players on this team who deserve the spotlight, especially after this game, who very nearly would not have been on Oregon State's roster in 2018, if not for certain unlikely circumstances for each of them. Those three players are Kyle Novak, Jack Anderson, and Michael Gretler. This trio batted 6th, 7th, and 8th in the lineup versus UW, and they turned into a murderer's row in that elimination game, combining for 7 RBIs, 2 doubles, a home run, 7 hits in total. They scored 6 runs, more than the entire Washington team. Each player has a backstory we haven't fully talked about yet on this series, and for each of them, there's a common theme. Let's start with a guy fresh off a 3-run homer. Novak, he's the spark plug. He was the guy, you know, the energy guy, always doing stuff. <laughs> I love Kyle. Kyle was the warrior. Novak is the kind of guy that Pat Casey just loves. The fierceness, the competitiveness, one of the toughest-minded kids. He's been through a lot physically. Kyle Novak has humble beginnings, a community college transfer, a walk-on at OSU, not even sure if he'd get a roster spot when he first arrived, but the 2016 season, Kyle Novak had blossomed into a regular part of Oregon State's lineup. So with his senior year being 2017, he would finish out his college career on that tremendous team, or so it seemed. You know, Novak could hardly walk the year before and never thought he'd play again. Novak's senior year ended before it started, with surgery to fix a knee problem. Yeah, I mean, it was difficult, you know, probably one of the toughest things I've done in my life, which is probably a good thing, you know, there's a lot of people that have gone through a lot harder things than I have, you know, so, I mean, I just tried to continue to work and, you know, put in the time in the weight room. I know that was hard on him and, and it was hard on us too because we all wanted him around and, you know, when we're on the road, he obviously wasn't able to be there with us. Michael Gretler was Kyle Novak's roommate during that rough 2017 season. Living with him, there were times where he was just like, dude, like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to heal or, you know, he was trying to decide between surgery and PRP injections and whatnot, and that was tough. Kyle knew he could redshirt the year and had a decision. Would it be worth it to spend one year rehabbing to get one year of baseball after? And in Kyle's mind, the answer was forcefully yes. After all, Novak came here for a purpose. Novak, you know, he's just a guy that I said, you know, you don't, you're way too smart to be plowing fields. Come play baseball for me. I'll get you an education, you know. And his dad said, we're just truck driver, you know. I said, well, that's why he comes, you know. And now Noby became a huge part of this and graduated. Pat Casey knew what Kyle Novak could achieve on and off the field even before Kyle ever put the Oregon State uniform on. And Pat also saw over the course of Kyle Novak's career how hard it would be for anything to take that uniform off of Kyle, even two knee surgeries. Kyle's persistence was so well known in the Oregon State program, it became the subject of at least one practical joke, including in the regional when OSU defeated LSU. 
Kyle, um, how come you got to get in the lineup tonight? What can you explain to us why? Or yeah, well, Coach Bailey came up to me in the pregame. Somebody told him I couldn't play, so I ran into Casey's office and I said I can play. <laughs> so he put me in the lineup. Well, I said Kyle, I didn't look at. It. I said Kyle, I I, understand. I know, get out here. <laughs> I was going to play him all along. I, I, they told him if he's a horse, we'd have to shoot him. You know, uh, when he thought he wasn't going to play, he was running around the clubhouse ready to tear it up. So. <laughs> Nobody was going to keep Kyle Novak off the field if he had any say in the matter, which is why he was there in 2018. Really, he should not have been. 2017 was his senior year. If not for the knee injury, Kyle would have played on that team and completed his eligibility, but because he redshirted in 2017, that meant 18 became the season he did not expect to have. And there's two more stories of guys who also didn't expect to be here in 2018, including Kyle's old roommate, Michael Gretler. You know, we had that crazy run in 2017 where probably one of the best teams I've ever seen. 56-6, and six, and Michael was the third baseman on that team. Former Beaver baseball player Jake Rodriguez remembers watching the 2017 team and one of the team's cornerstone pieces on and off the field, Michael Gretler. Probably one of the greatest guys in the locker room that you can have. Gretler's locker room presence was possibly going to last only through 2017, his junior year, since he got drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Michael had to figure out, was being selected in the 39th round as high as he could get? Was the signing bonus good enough to go pro right now? And what about the team? His Oregon State squad had made the College World Series, but what would they do in 2018? In the midst of all those questions, Michael Gretler made a phone call. Yeah, I remember Michael had called me and I was at dinner and he just said he needed to talk. Jake Rodriguez had been in a similar spot four years earlier. The former Beaver catcher had also been drafted his junior year as Oregon State was headed to the College World Series, and just like Gretler, Jake Rodriguez had a difficult choice to make. Pat Casey wanted Jake to stay. The pro contract he was offered wasn't that great, and he still had room to grow at OSU, so Jake knew there was plenty keeping him in Corvallis. I decided for some reason that I was still gonna sign and I decided to sign and I would say looking back, that was probably one of my biggest mistakes. Rodriguez had a brief pro career lasting just two years. He'll never know what would have happened if he chose to stay for a senior year, but the good thing is that Pat Casey brought him on staff in 2015, first as an undergraduate assistant and later as the director of operations. Being back in the program, Rodriguez could offer counsel to players like Michael Gretler. He had called me because they had offered him a similar contract to what I was offered my junior year. And I just flat out told him that not coming back for my senior year was the biggest mistake in my life. And that was because of a small amount of money that you can make in a couple years of working, right? I just went back and, and told him, you know, if you have an opportunity to come back, get your degree at Oregon State, compete for another national championship, why wouldn't you come back? And so he thought about it for a while and, and you know, we probably spent an hour on the phone. He didn't tell me right then and there what his decision was, but throughout that conversation, it sounded like he had made up his mind of what he wanted to do. Michael followed that advice and did not go pro. It was kind of bittersweet, you know what I mean? Because you want him to sign and go play pro ball because that's what we all dreamed of doing. But at the same time, you're like, oh heck yeah, like we're getting Gret back. We know we have this loaded team and, and we're not gonna lose him. Caden Grenier had already played two years with Michael Gretler, and with Michael's choice to stay, there would be a third year together. I was stoked, but at the same time, I was like, hopefully it all works out and he gets a chance to go play, which obviously he did. 
After turning down the Pirates in 2017, Michael Gretler again got drafted in 2018 when Pittsburgh doubled down and drafted him a second time. And not only that, they picked him 29 rounds higher. And then a couple weeks after being drafted in the 10th round, Gretler went 3-for-5 at the plate versus the Huskies, scoring three runs. So you've heard why Kyle Novak and Michael Gretler's careers extended one bonus year through 2018. Jack Anderson's story centers on how he even became a D1 athlete at all. He's a great human being on the field and off the field, and just seeing him have that success with the team, that, that was really special for me and just watching him. Hunter Jarman is a former Oregon State football player who also tried out for the baseball team in 2014. That same year, Jack Anderson tried out. We came in the same year as well. I ended up making the travel squad and he didn't, but I just knew he put in hours and hours of work. Not only did Jack Anderson not make the travel squad, he didn't make the roster at all. No walk-on spot, no practicing with the team, nothing. But Jack Anderson decided right away he would just try out again next year. So we waited that whole season, hoping enough roster spots would open up. I was scrolling through the draft. I knew the guys that needed to get drafted. So I was just looking for their names, hoping these guys that were supposed to come in the next year got drafted. I got hurt that summer too. I like tore my hamstring. So I wasn't even like playing baseball either. Like it was two weeks into the summer season in Portland and I got hurt. So I was just kind of hanging out, just hoping I got another chance. I think I never let myself get too down on myself. And until Case or Bales looked me in the eye and said I couldn't come back, I would come back. So I just let things happen as they may. Tried to control what I could control at that time, but it was definitely stressful and some moments that I wasn't really sure what was gonna happen. Jack didn't just wait around all year, he'd been working out hard. In fact, he and another baseball player who had gotten cut, Matt Dolan, both made it a plan to work out all year and try out the next season. In the summer before his sophomore year, Jack sent an email to head coach Pat Casey and assistant coach Pat Bailey. Jack told them he was still intentional about wanting to walk on, although if it didn't work out, he was willing to go elsewhere. But if he had any chance of making the team, Jack said in that email, and I quote, I promise you from the moment I return to Corvallis, you won't see a player more determined and focused to do everything in his power to be a part of Oregon State baseball. I kind of knew this could be like my swan song last chance, so I just had to put everything on the line and let him know how much it meant to me. And if I didn't make the team, I was probably going to go to a junior college and try to make the team the next year. So my plan was at some point to get another shot at a fall at Oregon State. So that's a special email for me, just remembering that time, just definitely lost and not sure what was going to happen and knew why not just give it everything I got. Around then, Jack Anderson had a conversation with Ryan Gibson, who at the time was coaching nearby at Lynn Benton Community College, and he told Jack there was a roster spot for him at LBCC. It would have been simpler to just transfer right then rather than go through fall practices, possibly get cut again, and then leave in the middle of the year. But Jack Anderson wasn't going to give up on Beaver Baseball until Beaver Baseball gave up on him. Although the closest he got to doing that was in the fall of 2014, when another intriguing opportunity popped up, staying at OSU to play a different sport. In 2014, the Oregon State men's basketball program was going through a massive upheaval. Head coach Craig Robinson had gotten fired, the program lost nine players for various reasons, and even held open tryouts to fill out the roster. Jack Anderson, who had played three years of varsity basketball at Lake Oswego High, considered trying out. 
and at the beginning of the fall i was i was going to set up a date to like walk on for the basketball team i was like if things get hairy here and i don't get a good feel for if i'm going to make the team or not i was going to try out for the basketball team and uh i think that was like middle of october and by that point i was playing really well and felt really good about it so i was like all right i probably shouldn't go just because i feel like case might hear that i'm at the basketball tryout or something so i ended up not going and then i remember i got a triple once in a scrimmage and i remember andy jenkins like coming up to me just like hey i'm so proud of you i'm so happy for you and i was like okay you wouldn't be telling me that unless i'm like on the team so then i just kind of asked case at the end of the fall i was like so am i going to be here and he's like you batted like 350 in the fall like yeah you made it Jack's hard work had paid off, but while he didn't expect a ton of playing time to begin with, that first season still was not ideal. He only played five games, and in his first collegiate at-bat, he struck out on three pitches. When Jack talked with Pat Casey after the season, he worried Casey would reconsider having given Jack a roster spot. I came into that meeting and he was like, hey, you're gonna be a good hitter. Like, believe in yourself. You didn't play this much this year because you had some injuries. So I knew that I still had three more years and it kind of came back to that email. Like, I wouldn't say what I said to Case and Bales if I didn't mean it. And they would have to take that jersey from me once they gave it to me. I wasn't gonna go anywhere. Fast forward a few years and Jack Anderson became a first team all-conference outfielder. And in 2018 versus Washington, for example, he went two for three with the go-ahead RBI double. Now, back in 2014, when Jack Anderson nearly tried out for the men's basketball team but decided against it, his workout partner, Matt Dolan, actually did go try out for basketball, and he made the team. So Jack Anderson and Matt Dolan went from both getting cut from the baseball team their freshman year to making a team their sophomore year, but two different teams at Oregon State. And while Jack became a regular starter for the baseball team, Matt Dolan started 11 games for the basketball team and parlayed that opportunity into a professional basketball career in Spain. It's amazing looking back on that year. It was just me and Maddie. We just grinded. We worked out four to five days a week and we're just on the tee when no one else was there. So I think we were both kind of the same hardworking kid. And once opportunities come up for a guy like me or Maddie, we usually make the most of it. So I'm so happy for that guy, man. I can't believe he's still playing and just unbelievable. Another thing that worked out for Jack Anderson, when he did not make the team before the spring of 2014, he didn't use a year of eligibility since he could redshirt that year. Now, he didn't want to just work out separate from the team all year, but if he had played that season like he wanted, his eligibility would have been used up by 2017, so he would not have been included on this 2018 College World Series team. So for Jack Anderson, Kyle Novak, and Michael Gretler, three guys who did not give up and did not settle, Performances in 2018 like this one against Washington would not have happened if not for their resilience and the difficult circumstances that necessitated such resilience. One last note on Jack Anderson in particular, once Jack made the 2015 roster, he made it a point to use his status as a D1 athlete to benefit others outside the program. Jack became the team's community service liaison, so he volunteered at and or helped get the program involved with causes like Special Olympics, the Humane Society, Beavers Without Borders, visiting a children's hospital in Portland, various clothing drives, a track restoration project at a local middle school, and a lot more. I just kind of grew up in an environment and the people that surround me that kind of just told me it's not what you have, it's what you give. And I think that just kind of rang true, especially when I got on the team and had a platform to really make some monumental changes in an area that gives the baseball team so much. 
This has been episode 10 of Dynasty in the Woods. Next week, we continue reliving Oregon State's run through the 2018 College World Series, including a rematch in Omaha. In fact, if you do your best Jack Anderson impression and help out a local nonprofit, you can listen to those episodes ahead of schedule. To learn more about how to donate to this podcast feature charities, check out the episode notes. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Have a great day, everyone, and let's talk next week.